In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the Gospel, which I've already read. You may be seated. When the season of Advent rolls around every year, we speak of three different ways in which our Lord has come to us, or will come to us. First, historically, he came in the flesh. This is also known as his gracious coming. During this time, Jesus did things like heal the sick, raise the dead, and called sinners to repentance and faith in him. Most importantly, however, during that time, our Lord Jesus laid down his life for us sinners at the cross and was raised again from the dead, and he instituted the holy sacraments whereby we receive those benefits that he won for us at the cross and at the empty tomb. The second way that we speak of Christ's coming is through his word and sacraments. This is kind of a continual presence among us. This is directly tied to his earthly ministry. Although we do not see Jesus as he has performed these miracles with his own eyes, we do behold by faith everything that he has said and did for our salvation. I would argue that, in fact, we actually have it better than they did in the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, because ours is the fulfillment of the entirety of Scripture's story. Ours is holy baptism. Ours is the holy communion. Even, say, the feeding of the 5,000 was a pale shadow of the way Jesus continues to feed his church every Lord's Day in our time. The last way that we speak of Christ's coming is his coming in judgment. That is the last part of the creed that is yet to be fulfilled. There will be quite the stark contrast between Jesus coming at the last and the day of his birth. His birth was announced to but a poor few shepherds in the fields, but his return will be trumpeted across the globe from east to west, and everyone at once will see his coming. At once the dead will be raised, and every knee will bow to him. Those who belong to Jesus will be given the resurrection to eternal life, but those who rejected him will be given the resurrection to everlasting condemnation in hell with the devil and his angels. Our gospel reading for today effectively combines all three of these different events into one short story. Luke brings us to Jerusalem on what is Palm Sunday. Jesus has already, in a few verses before, received the prayer and praises of, his, of the people as they sang their hosannas as he rode into Jerusalem. But now, as he is about ready to ride into the city proper to go and visit the temple, Jesus pauses for but a moment. Why had he come? He had come to gather his people as a hen gathers her chicks. He came to his own, but his own received him not. What is hidden from our eyes, just by looking at the gospel reading, is that this scene in particular, this very poignant moment that Jesus pauses before the great week of Holy Week, is basically a repetition 
of something that had happened some 600 years before this. In the year 587 BC, students of Bible history will recognize that as the date of the destruction of Solomon's temple. It was in that year that the prophet Jeremiah wept over the city as both the city and the temple lay in ruins. Because of the idolatry of the people of Israel, God sent the Babylonians to tear down the city and to tear down the temple to the ground. In chasing after other gods, they had neglected the things that made for peace. God had promised them forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation through the ministry that was mediated at the temple, through his presence there with them. But in their prosperity, they had forgotten God. Jesus' prophecy that he gives here in our text today about the destruction of the temple came to pass about 35 years after the events of our gospel reading in the year 70 AD. By rejecting Jesus, the Jews once again had rejected their relationship with God. Dear saints, the people of Jerusalem, both in Jeremiah's day and in Jesus' day, saw all three comings of God. They had his gracious coming at the temple. God had promised to meet them there between the wings of the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. He met them through his word as it was proclaimed by the priests and the prophets and by fathers in the home. And then he met them finally as an adversary as he came in judgment against them. So what do we do with this? What do we make of these harsh scenes of judgment in the scriptures. Where does that leave us today? Well, first, this means that since the gracious promises of God have now come to us, it is our duty not only to know what the scriptures teach, but we must also live our lives according to it. But a few weeks ago, Jesus charged pastors, if you recall, to teach the Bible in its truth and purity. We are not to deviate from that truth. If we do, we will have to answer for that on the last day. However, in that same text, he had charged all of you with the responsibility of knowing his word well enough that you could distinguish between truth and purity. Or as he said, you could gather grapes and figs rather than thorns and thistles. God speaks to us with two words from the scripture, and both of them we are, are words that we need to hear. That first word tells us that we are sinners, that we are condemned to die before God because of our rebellion. This is the result that the people, the people of Israel came to know in the Old Testament when God told them that they would be overthrown for their sins. They were not even ashamed of them. They believed that there was no way God would bring judgment against them. Not them, because they were, after all, his chosen people. They could get away with, with whatever they wanted. And consider where we are today. This is the same kind of thing that leads people today to say, well, only God can judge me. Only God can judge my life. Unfortunately... I'm not sure that the people who say those kinds of things 
actually believe that God is a God of judgment. Sin is no longer something that our world is ashamed of, but we hold parades to celebrate it. Where our lives are not aligned with the word of God, with God's law, we stand condemned and we must repent of our sins. By the power of his law, Jesus comes to cleanse the temple of our hearts, driving out all those things that would be hidden, that would, that would hinder, rather, our prayers to God. But I mentioned that God's word also speaks to us a different kind of word. It also speaks to us a word of forgiveness. When we allow God's law to have its way with us, when we let go of our pride and our sins, we find that we have a God of mercy. He doesn't come to bring the crushing force of judgment against us. As Jesus said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. God calls us out of our sins because he loves us. His law sets a boundary between us and what is poisonous to our souls and poisons us against those things that make for peace with him. His gospel draws that poison out of our souls. It binds up your wounds and it declares to you that you are at peace with God. God's word is an essential part of our lives. It is essential in this because it is in his word that Jesus places himself and everything that he has done for you right before your eyes. So that when you hear his word, you are hearing the stories of how Jesus drew the crowds to himself. You are drawn in by those same stories. It is the story that sings peace on earth with the Christmas angels. And it is the story that rejoices with the disciples on the evening of our Lord's resurrection as he came and he breathed out his peace upon them. As partakers of the story of Christ's gracious coming to you. You will also become partakers of the fruits of what that story bears today. Jesus' words of forgiveness and life still ripple to us today through the, through the waters of our baptism. They're still breathed out upon the bread and wine that is set upon our altar. The cross is where peace with God and man was made. But it is here, in this place, that that peace is delivered to you. Here stands the font before our eyes, telling how Christ has received us. The altar recalls Christ's sacrifice and what his sacrifice now brings us. Here sound the scriptures that proclaim Christ yesterday, today the same, and evermore our Redeemer. Here is where God sends his absolution man. To proclaim to you that your sins are washed away by the very blood of Jesus. Now some will ask, if we have all of God's promises in baptism, why do we need all that other stuff and why do we need it so often? But when has God ever given the bare minimum to us? How many baskets full were left over of the broken pieces from the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000? 
God's grace to us is never just enough, but it is a super abundant grace, and our cup runneth over. And so, dear saints, as you are swept up into the story of the scriptures, when you partake of the Lord's death and resurrection in the holy sacraments, you will find yourself ready to stand in that day when the Lord comes to judge both the living and the dead. And this is not your own doing, for it is the gift of God. And this is how God has chosen to work among us, through his word, preached and read, through his sacraments instituted by his own word. And it is in these things that God chose himself not to be a God of judgment and anger, but a God of mercy and pity. This is how God makes you a partaker of all his gracious promises and gives you the very treasures of heaven itself. These are the things that are given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is not only our peace with God by his death on the cross, but is that very death or is that very peace in his own flesh and blood. Let us, therefore, seek after those things that make for peace with God, that when the day of his return comes, we may be found hanging on every word that he says. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.